Welcome to On the Way with Tony Chris. Each weekday, Dr. Chris will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Chris. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 217. We're in the middle of the Passover. Let's review. Because remember, repetition is the mother of learning. And so we're going to look back on where we have come from. And so we began the entire Passover meal with telling you the story of how it all began and how down through the ages, the Jews have developed a method for consistently, confluently, generation after generation, passing down the Passover story. You see, God said, I want you to make this a memorial meal, something that you're going to remember. And so it had to be made memorable. And so the entire family, remember, this is a family time when everybody gathers around and the children are involved from their early ages onward. And they have parts and they participate. And then if the family is too small, then they will add someone else or they will go with and be with someone else. This was passed on from generation to generation. And in order to pass on that Passover story of Exodus chapter 12, remember the Hebrews and those who followed them, the priests, the Levites, the sages, the prophets, and then later the rabbis, they developed a storytelling method. I have been sharing those with you, and it was built around four cups, and it was built around the breaking of bread, of matzah, of unleavened bread. All kinds of rituals uh, grew up around that. And during the days of Jesus, it had solidified into a way of doing things that involved different elements. But obviously, the Lord Jesus took those elements, those same elements of the Haggadah and the storytelling ritual, and he had that last Passover before he died with his disciples. And so remember, they were seated a certain way. They were in a rich man's home. They were in an upper chamber. They were doing everything just the way the Jews had done it. They had prepared the meal. It was not just anything they wanted to eat. There were certain elements that were needed to tell the story. The book of Exodus chapter 6 verses 6 and 7 is where the four cups come from and they arise out of the four I wills that God said he would do in relationship to his people to bring them out of Egyptian bondage and bring them into the land that he had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so the ritual began and we have already looked at the first cup. It's called the cup of sanctification where God said, I'm going to separate the the Egyptians and my people. And as you know, the children of Israel lived primarily in the land of Goshen. It was the pasture land. It was that diluvian fan near the Mediterranean where the Nile fans out. They were shepherds. And you'll recall the 
story of Joseph, and it goes all the way back to that. And as they began to multiply, Pharaoh arose who knew not Joseph and had no allegiance to him and no gratitude. And so the slavery and the enslavement began, and the people began to cry out to God. And God heard and answered their prayers after many, many years and sent Moses. And so this event and this series of events, God never wanted his people to forget. So he said he would do this and he would separate the Egyptians from the Hebrews. And so that's exactly what that first cup represents. And and we've gone over the rituals that are associated with that. And then the second cup is not called the cup of sanctification. That's the first cup. But God didn't just separate between the Egyptians and his people. He did that with a strong and mighty arm because Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And uh, many people say, well, why did God do that? Well, God has his own counsels and who can know the mind of the Lord in the deep things of God? But he's revealed to us many things. We can take God at his word. But just think about it. If Pharaoh had just said, yes, I'll let you go. Well, everybody will said that Pharaoh, what a great guy he is. But instead, God said, I'm going to bring you out with a strong and mighty arm because Pharaoh is a wicked man and he has done wicked things. And so God hardened his heart, allowed his heart to be hardened. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. You say, well, which was it? Yes, it was all of the above. And so God smote Pharaoh with plagues and the Egyptian people with plagues. He separated his people out from that until the last plague, the death of the firstborn. What happened was God sent 10 plagues, and these plagues in the Passover meal, they are illustrated through the taking of a drop of wine and calling out the plague, and the children would call it out, and the father or the master of ceremonies, if it was a large gathering, would take a drop of wine, either drip it on the plate in front of him, or he would take his finger and put it in the wine and then take a drop out on his finger and put it on the plate or sling it on the plate like God's slinging down and throwing down the plagues upon the Egyptians. All of that so that it would stick in the minds of those children and all of the adults as they grew up and grew older, that God was the originator of the plagues. He's the one that brought them out with a strong and mighty arm. And so anyone who's grown up in a Jewish home that observes Passover, why you could just bump into them in the night and they could name the 10 plagues because they heard it every year, just like we do the Christmas story, just like we do the Easter story. We don't hear either one of those very much anymore because even American Christianity is secularized. And we know more about Santa Claus than we do Jesus. We look forward more to Santa Claus coming than we do Jesus coming. The Easter bunny more than the resurrection. And I could go on and on, but I'm going to stop right now because my blood pressure is beginning to rise. And so I'm just saying to you, a Jewish boy or girl would remember these plagues because it is illustrated before them every year. And they participate in that. And then a series of questions are asked. Uh, designed to help the people at the table and especially the children remember that God brought them out not only with a strong and mighty arm, but he did it in a hurry. The people had to be ready. So you have these questions asked, and that was always done by the youngest. And then you had 
the case of the four sons, which illustrated the various responses to the Passover. And then you would have the eating of the meal. But before the meal was hidden, which is very important for the cup I'm going to talk to you about today, the third cup after supper, is you would take from the uh, matzotash, the napkin or the bag that held the unleavened pieces of bread, the three. I told you what those stood for in uh, Jewish tradition. We, as followers of Jesus, believe they stand for the unity of God himself, the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Son is always mentioned in the middle position, and it is the middle loaf that was taken out. It was the middle matzah that was taken out. It was put wrapped in a linen napkin. And it was hidden away, it was tucked away, it was buried, if you will, for the children to go find after supper. And so there was a big meal. And you know the way that a big meal like that is. Everyone is eating and enjoying themselves and talking. But the Passover meal and the Seder was not over yet. The order and the ritual was not over yet. Because you see, after supper, there were two more cups. The first cup, of course, is sanctification. The second cup was the cup of judgment. The third cup is called the cup of redemption because God said he would redeem his people. He would bring them out of Egyptian bondage and slavery. And so the scriptures in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Luke, and 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Bible says it was after supper that Jesus took the cup. Now, that is a cultural, historical note to say that this was the third cup, the cup of redemption. And everyone knew, remember, every Bible writer from Moses to John assumed, knew, believed that the people to whom they were writing understood the language, the history, the geography, and the cultural context. Well, this is cultural context of that day. And indeed, they did. And so when these gospel writers said that, everyone knew that this was the cup of redemption. Now, the cup of redemption had to do with the blood of the lamb that was shed on Passover and was put on the two side posts and the lentil, which is the top beam that went across the door to hold it together. That blood of that lamb was talked about and the lamb was talked about. Now, here's the amazing thing. Afi Komen that held the middle loaf was found by the children and uh, they uh, would bring it to the father and the father would usually reward the one that found that with the various rewards. And then what he would do is he would unwrap that linen cloth and he would take that matzah loaf and he would hold it up and he would talk about the lamb, how it was without spot, it was without blemish, how precious it was and he would remind them of something perhaps that had happened in the four days prior from the 10th of Nisan when they had first brought the lamb in. Then he would talk about how that that was the lamb that was their sacrifice. Well, it's at this point that Jesus changed everything because you see, Jesus, when he held that up, he didn't talk about a lamb that was a sacrifice from long ago uh, or the Passover sacrifice. He said, I am the lamb. And indeed, isn't that exactly what happened when he was born in Bethlehem? And the angel said to the shepherds who were Levitical shepherds out watching during that lambing season, 
watching for those sacrificial lambs to be born so they could wrap them up in swaddling cloths and swaddle that lamb and and tie its little legs together close to its body where they could watch it until it was strong enough and then they would unwrap that because that lamb could hurt itself and blemish itself, then it would not be able to be sacrificed. And that is exactly what they were used to because sacrificial lambs were always swaddled for a period of time until they were stronger. And so immediately when the angel said, behold, a child is born unto you and he is the Messiah. And they said, this is the sign. And they all knew what to look for because they said, this is the sign to you, Levitical shepherds. You'll find this babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Well, immediately they knew the lamb has been born, not a little creature that they were swaddling, but the Messiah had been born the one who would take away the sin of the world. And indeed, isn't that what John said when he saw Jesus, his cousin, coming across the Perean plains and saw him coming toward him? He said, Behold, there is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus said, This blood represents the blood that I'm going to shed because I'm going to cut a new covenant. This blood is going to be the new covenant and the symbol of the new covenant in my blood. And then he said, as often as you do this, he didn't prescribe how often to do it, but he said, when you do it, I want you to remember me because I am the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And really, isn't that even true what John said? In the book of Revelation, you remember as John was caught up in to the very abode of God, up into the heavenly realm, after he had seen the great vision of this throne and the one who sat on it and a rainbow completed all around the throne and 24 elders were falling down and casting their Stephanos, their victor's crowns before him. The scripture says that there was a scroll, a book, And no one was worthy to open that scroll. And John began to weep because no one was found in heaven and earth to open the scroll because no one was worthy. And as he was weeping, the scripture says that the messenger from God tapped him on the shoulder and said, John, you don't have to weep. I want you to look. Behold, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. He has prevailed to open the book. And John, turning around, looking to see the ensign and the great symbol of the lion, what he had longed for and looked for all of his days, when he turned around, he didn't see a lion. He saw a lamb as it had been slain. And no doubt, that was a symbol to him and a sign to him that the lion of the tribe of Judah, Yeshua, Hamashiach, Jesus the Messiah, is indeed the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so when we as followers of Jesus the Messiah, when we take and remember his death, and we remember that last Passover meal, we remember Jesus who shed his blood so that we could be freed from the bondage, not of Egyptian slavery, but from the slavery of Satan himself and the sin that so easily besets us. Yes, the Lamb of God is alive. He has been buried, yes, wrapped in linen just like that matzah, but he was uncovered and brought to the Father. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. 
Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.